call is now being recorded. We are SC Recruiting Podcast. Gary Pasquitz joined by Randy Taylor. And uh, Randy, we are in the stretch run of recruiting right now, uh, sitting here in mid-January, and it's been a couple weeks since we talked. And uh, before we get to talking about the USC recruiting class and where things are at right now, uh, I know you were at the coaches' convention last week. And right. so kind of wanted, you know, there was a couple of rule changes that were being talked about. What were some of the things that jumped out to you uh, uh, with what took place last week? So the AFCA Coaches Association convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and shooters, you know, there's thousands of coaches and, and recruiting guys and, and uh, administrative folks all involved with football. And so it's it's kind of a, a kind of a party slash learn more football and, and get some indications of some of the rules. And a couple of things that jump out or a few things that jump out. One thing they talked about, the NCAA holds a seminar every every year and they talked about how they felt the early signing period was a success. They felt the only thing that they really needed to do a better job of and, and I think schools is educating the players more about the options and the repercussions or outcomes of that decision of signing or not signing. And so they, they felt that was a success to date. And, and I think if you look at the numbers, I don't know if you ran the numbers, but uh, of the Division One prospects who have offers, uh, about 54 or so percent signed. Did you do any, uh, did you look into that at all? We, 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 we did. And the, and, and the number of, uh, of elite recruits, the ones who were on your, your top 300 list and everything. Right. Uh, right. I think that number was even higher, yeah, um, up around seventy so percent. So yeah, I, I that, that kind of surprised me. It, it, uh, me too. I really was surprised that uh, uh, some schools, you know, there's some schools that had twenty kids signed, right, right. You know, and and SC had ten, which I still thought was higher than than it was going to be because I thought mm-hmm. kids would want to to play out the play out the uh, the recruiting a little bit longer, but uh, and maybe hadn't made up their mind. But, uh, you know, shoot, if they could get to getting most of their class signed in uh, in December, that's great for everybody. Because I tell you, these, the Division One guys, those elite players uh, that are being recruited by these top schools, they've moved on to the 2019 and 2020 prospects sure. uh, even, even months ago. But now, when this dead period just ended, uh, recently, when the convention was over, they were out looking at 2019 and 2020 kids. With, without a doubt, so, I'll tell you, the, the, yeah. there, there was a couple areas, Randy, that I thought were really interesting. Uh, I know we're going to talk about this, is the fact that some kids, and, and USC has a kid in their class uh, that is a terrific example of this with Marquis Stepp. Uh, hey, a big reason why he ended up here was his family's relationship with Daylon McCullough. Right. And right. between the time that he signed and right now, Dillon took a job in the NFL. Now, Marquise came out right away and put out a tweet, you know, saying, hey, I'm fine, you know, I'm, I'm good. But uh, you can understand how that may not be at all the time. 
uh, such a smooth uh, transition. But the other part that I thought was really interesting, Randy, I think the early signing period, those all-star games, the Army game, the Under Armour game, those used to be a showcase for announcements, and that was the big buzz that you were going to have. I think that early signing period just killed the buzz of those two games. Uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely did. And the other thing about it is, you know, how, how many guys are going to continue to play in those games, uh, just like some didn't play in bowl games. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no reason if a kid is worried about he's already signed, worried about an injury, why then go, especially a kid that's going to be going uh, in, in mid-year. It's I mean, there, right. yeah, it, so I, I think that early signing does have an impact on those games. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. And that's going to be a natural transition because I think we saw it 20 years ago with uh, with the Shrine game, which was the, really the last of the summer All-Star games. And yeah. once you started to have kids who were going to be coming into fall camp with an expectation to play, once that slippery slope went down with kids starting to skip the game, it didn't take long for a lot of kids to start skipping it. Yeah, no question. And and uh, that that's it just takes one or two, like you said, that slippery slope, and then others will figure it out. And, so yeah, I, I it'll be interesting, and they're going to have to figure out these two companies, and, and different groups are going to have to figure out a different way of of uh, having some kind of an all star. And they still do the combines, which are great, and and uh, you know, you got Under Armors, and you got the U.S. Army, and and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So they're they're great great events and and uh they'll they'll figure out a way to keep it going. I wanted to tell you a couple of the other things I thought was interesting and we've been talking about the FCAA rules and transfers. Mm-hmm. Uh so one of the things they're talking about in this transfer issue is creating a NCAA transfer portal, they call it, for athletes to register. So in other words, if an if a athlete from USC is going to transfer, and that's something we may talk about here in a minute, but if an SC player is going to transfer in the future, this and this won't happen until they'll vote on it, I think, in April, uh, they will put their name into a, uh, a list that the NCA has that other schools will have access to. And so now is that another form of recruiting involved? So there's a whole bunch of other issues that are going to come up and and that's a big discussion. That was probably one of the bigger discussions that's going to come out of this, this, uh, uh, the, uh, convention. Another thing that I thought was interesting, uh, they, they're, and this might be good for, for you, because August, uh, was a dead period last year, and, and now they're thinking about changing that. So this August coming up, the athletes who don't have practices or games themselves can go to a college practice instead of being kept off the the campus. So that that was one of them. Uh, Football sizes of staff is uh, one of the things that's really going to be looked at. Some staffs are so large that uh, it's an unfair advantage. Uh, So that's another thing that came out. And then one of the biggest concerns, uh, as always, is what they call, the NCAA calls it the IAWP, which is Individual Associated associated with a Prospect. Right. And right. so they're very concerned about all these seven-on-sevens and, and trainers and all that. So all of those things were kind of the, the uh, most important parts of the convention uh, as far as the NCAA rules go. And then uh, tell me about the discussion of uh, 
of possibly allowing a red shirt player to play in up to four games? Yeah, that was actually that's a good one. I'm glad you reminded me of that, and I I really like that. So instead of the yeah instead of the rule where by a certain number of games, uh, if you uh, you can only play up to whatever the I don't know what percentage, what twenty five percent or whatever the percentage was, so you could only play in the first four games. And if you then, uh, after that, if you uh, uh, decided or they decided to redshirt you, you're done. And if you come back in a game later, it ruins your redshirt and, and it's gone. And there's a lot of different things that, that set off that redshirt and medical mm-hmm. redshirt, and a couple of them are different. But I really like the idea of giving a, a school the opportunity to if a if a kid is going to redshirt and he sits until the, the there's four games left, but they need him, you know, and he's got a chance to play, let him play, and it doesn't blow his redshirt here. And, and so I really like that uh, that idea for kids. I, I think USC had a real world example this year. Uh, let's say a guy like Jay Tufele. Uh, yeah. You were getting a little thin on the D line there at a time, and you had to burn Brandon Peely's midway through the year. And uh, you could have burned J2 Fillies at the end and still had him keep the redshirt year. I, I, I like it a lot just to, like you say, you're not allowing the kid to play the whole year, but you're giving him a little taste of action and not penalizing him for it. No question. I, I think that's, uh, that that is really a good change for the athlete. And, and that we're all supposed to be here for those kids, so why not? And I think that's the transfer rules as well. Uh, I don't know if the lunch crowd is just coming in, but it might get get a little bit louder in here. Um, so, yeah, I think overall, I think all of those things they discussed, uh, NCAA rules-wise, uh, are positives. Uh, I don't they, they weren't going to make a lot of changes to the uh, the camps and all those kind of things. I think they are want to see that uh, go forward the, the same way it is right now. Okay. Okay. Now you now you mentioned the transfer issue. That that's one thing right now as we're sitting here on the the 16th of January. That to me is going to be the biggest variable, Randy, on on if USC has any spots remaining here at the end. Because um, like we say, uh, right now you have after the four early departures to the NFL, you have 71 bodies on the roster. There were yeah. 10 signees at the early signing period, which puts you at, at 81. And then there are four players who were verbally committed to sign in February, which puts you at 85. And that, right. as we've long known, that that 85 number is the bigger issue for the Trojans, way more than getting to 25 in this class. You're not going to get there. No um, question. But so what that means is, uh, you know, the, the coaches are still out there recruiting people. They they hosted a bunch of recruits this weekend, so obviously they feel the spots are going to be there by the time early February rolls around. And the cleanest way for that to happen is for some transfers uh, to come into play, but we have not heard of anything um, yeah. coming up, and I think that's the logical solution. Yeah, I, I think you you and you kind of have to just keep recruiting uh, the the four kids that are already committed. Are, you know, those are studs that you you know uh, Amon Ra, Tuli, uh, Trout, and Step. Uh, the, the two that you'd worry most about are the two out-of-state kids, uh, Step and, and because of the McCullough thing as well. But hopefully that, that stays solid. He said he would uh, stay solid. Uh, the Missouri kids, you know, so 
So those kind of things, you're just going to have to battle, but you just keep recruiting. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think the other thing is, is that obviously the uh, recruiting staff and Ziskin and those guys and and the coaching staff they 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 know more about kids who are are no doubt about it going to leave. And so uh, again, I just you know trust in in their knowledge of what's going on inside the organization, and uh, you just keep going full speed ahead until you're done. And so. The, the commitments, you know, we always talk about the definition of the word commitment. So mm-hmm. uh, no one's really committed. They're they're leaning. That's, that should be <laughs> and the new until word. the first Wednesday in February. Yeah. And, and you exactly and I have talked right. about it, Randy. If there's if there is something that I've been very impressed with with Clay Helton and staff uh, in the couple years that they've had on signing days is just the way that they have hit the number each signing day. And they seem to be very, very much in control of how that number gets hit with the way they want it hit. That's not an easy thing to do. You've been in that room before. Uh, Not always as easy as they've made it look. No, and I I will say this. uh, It's much easier for USC to do it than it is for Oregon State or or Fresno State. You know what I mean? mean, We'll take that. Really, yeah, I mean, even even USC more than, than... Almost everyone else in the in the Pac-12 or an Alabama or a Clemson uh-huh. or a Penn State, those name schools, Ohio State, they have that uh, advantage that they're almost always going to get what they uh, maybe not what they want all the time, but what they need. Uh, and so that that should always be the case with a with unless you really screw it up with a group like USC. Let's talk about a couple of the kids that were in this weekend. I, I, I think the uh, the biggest position that needs to get some uh, some some closure on is is the cornerback spot. You've always said if you're going to err on any spot, you know, defensive tackles and corners. Uh, last week or a week and a half ago, uh, Marcus Johnson did decommit, and that wasn't a huge surprise uh, right. to those who follow recruiting. But it does mean that uh, that there's another opening for a corner. Right now, you have Chase Williams, who will be an early enrollee. But you want to get at least one, if not two more, and you had two really good ones, probably the two at the top of the wish list, uh, were on campus this weekend in Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart. Uh, you're not going to get much better than having those two on campus with a couple weeks to go before signing day. Yeah, if you land those, if those are your corners uh, in, on signing day, you're, you're in the top five along with the other kids that, that they're getting. So. Uh, and, and St. Brown is, it, to me, is a huge, uh, part of that to Thule, you know, all of these kids, but the corners are really special if you get those two kids with Chase. And, and let, uh, yeah. Let, let, let's stay on, let's stay on receiver for a minute, because I, I, I agree with you. Amon Ra, Amon Ra was the best receiver I saw this year. I don't know that he wasn't the best football player, uh, that, that I saw this year. Um, getting him is, is just, <laughs> You, you you can't overstate how good that's going to be to have him come in right away, and also to have him come in with his quarterback. That's great news. Um, but there is the train of thought that the coaches would also like to add a taller receiver along the outside. And you had Devin Williams in this weekend, and he, he's been a guy who was long rumored uh, to the Taggart staff up at Oregon to be leaning in that direction. Now, yeah. if, if you're gonna if you're gonna sculpt a wide receiver guy, Randy, boy, the, Devin Williams has a heck of a frame. Um, yeah, and he's got the other tools. He catches the ball well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he he isn't a as 
bad a long strider as some of those taller guys can be. He does have some ability to stick his foot and, and redirect and, and and be kind of a quicker guy uh, even at his height. So he's he's special. That that's the guy that to me if, if I you know you get Amon Ra and and uh, Devin and you have the two best receivers in the West probably uh, and and to go along with that corner group and. Some of the other kids, it's a it's a remarkable class when they uh, if they get those kids and are done. Yeah, you're starting to look at some of the projections uh, because, like you said, some of the schools that are ahead of USC on the uh, on the recruiting ranking list uh, are almost full. They don't have they, yeah. they don't have much wiggle room coming up. USC can seriously impact this class in February. Uh, with, with some of these guys that are remaining, where they end up on the recruiting rankings, I don't know. It's not really a, a huge deal. I just think the quality yeah. of player they are getting per per spot is pretty darn good. Yeah, and you add in the steal of the the defensive end from uh, uh, Orange County, and and uh, uh, you know, it's just a, it could be a heck of a class. So I I think they're they're doing what they do, and and uh, uh, we just got to wait and see how it all ends up. Looks like a good group. Tell, tell me what you think about some of this coaching movement, Randy. When you we we, we talked about Dylan McCollum uh, leaving to go to the NFL, and as much as you hate to lose him, boy, that guy was just a gem, and so you can understand why the NFL was interested in him. You had yeah. uh, you had had Tyson Helton move on earlier in December than the news last week that they're going to bump Brian Ellis up. And what makes this interesting, Randy, and the reason I'm bringing it up is Clay Helton talks so much about continuity among staff, continuity. Among message and scheme, and you're also going to have a new quarterback, a new tailback, and a new leading receiver with Deontay Burnett being gone. The T. Martin factor right now, we we, we saw T. Martin take a run, you know, he, he talked to Tennessee, he talked to Ed Orgeron out at LSU, he had an interview last week with the Raiders, and then there's word that, wait a minute, Clay Helton might be looking to sign into an extension just to help get that uh, continuity in play. Because otherwise, there's a lot of moving pieces on the offensive side of the ball if he isn't there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that? That, that's a huge, a huge deal, and, and uh, he may end up having a longer uh, uh, signing term or contract than the head coach, which would be a little bit unusual. But, but uh, I think you do it with a guy like that. I also think that uh, Brian Ellis being there. Uh, really, really helps. And, and coming from Jeff Brom's group in Western Kentucky, you can see what he did at Purdue and how creative and and how uh, uh, Brom and that group did so well with their offense. I think Brian Ellis is a guy that steps in and you, and you don't miss much of a beat. Uh, you got to replace McCullough. But it is so important, I think. See, there's an old saying that when head coaches start Firing assistant coaches, they're next. Well, in this right. case, when you when you lose them, it's still that negative because you have to have a guy come in to learn your system. Where Brian doesn't, uh, you have to have a guy come in and learn your terminology, and and so all of that. And if you keep T, then you have all of the that in place, and you just got to uh, put in a running back coach. Mm-hmm. And so all you know, it's. It's it's uh, not perfect, and and I think uh, Coach Helton, you know, having his brother go out and get a heck of an opportunity is is probably something that the whole family is is up for, 
And uh, so I think, and it happens everywhere, good programs have guys leave. And you just, uh, if you're good enough to, to be able to have a guy to replace them or do a good job of scouting, and, and I'm sure Clay has a list of guys that he would always want to have come in. So I'm sure that he's working off of that list. But um, there is nothing more important than continuity in your coaching staff, in my opinion. That, and that's what keeps head coaches in their jobs. Right, right. And it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. All right, Randy, we'll appreciate the time. We'll look forward to uh, catching up next week, and, and we'll start talking to some 2019 kids next week. Who, uh, I can't wait, buddy. I'm gonna. I'll see some uh, a lot of uh, really good quarterbacks coming up this Sunday back in uh, at Crespi High School uh, at the Rising Fire Camp. So I'm looking forward to that. And then, uh, yeah, let's get talking about the 19 players. Sounds good, Randy. Thanks for your time as always. Okay, buddy.